I'm Jerry Willis. I'm Steve Ducey. I'm Shannon Bream, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Monday, April 6, 2020. I'm Trey Yinks. Life is returning to normal in many parts of China following the coronavirus outbreak. And now there are new questions about what the Chinese knew and when. The mayor of Wuhan back in January admitted that he had more information than he had been allowed to tell the public and that 5 million people from Wuhan City basically had left before lockdown. This is the Fox News Rundown, global pandemic. The United States is getting hammered with new cases of coronavirus each day. But where the COVID-19 outbreak first began in China, industries are restarting. Over the next few minutes, you'll get the latest headlines on the virus and hear from senior fellow Dean Chang at the Heritage Foundation about what China is responsible for when it comes to the outbreak. Starting first in Europe, Spain has seen two consecutive days of death toll decline from COVID-19. Data released by Spanish authorities over the weekend indicated that 87 percent of deaths from coronavirus occurred in people over 70. Spain remains the second worst hit country behind the United States, though officials believe a peak has been reached. Now to the Middle East, where more than 100,000 cases of coronavirus have been reported. Turkey is currently seeing a rapid outbreak, while many of the Gulf countries have seen a slower spread due to widespread testing and lockdown procedures. In Iran, low-risk economic activities are set to resume next week. The Iranian health ministry is reporting just 3,500 deaths, though some experts say the true number is much higher. Intercity travel does remain prohibited for Iranians until the middle of this month. Iran continues to claim the United States is blocking medical aid from entering the country, though there's no evidence to support these statements. Finally to China, where in the city of Wuhan, reports indicate more than 10,000 enterprises have started up again. Officials are using temperature checks and other methods to ensure that people who are coming back to work aren't sick. Chinese officials are being criticized in the international community for lying about the initial outbreak in their country. So what did China know and when? Well, I think that uh, in all likelihood, we don't know the actual number of cases. This is Dean Cheng, a senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Uh, What we do know is that the mayor of Wuhan back in January admitted that he had more information than he had been allowed to tell the public and that five million people from Wuhan City, the epicenter of the virus, um, basically had left before lockdown. So what that suggests that if even 10% of those people had coronavirus, that's 500 million people who would have left the city. And something else to think about, if 10% of those people left the country, whether to go to work at different jobs, to be students, to visit uh, relatives. That's 50,000 people who are potentially infected, who left, you know, China. We saw reports this week indicating that more than 400,000 people have traveled from China to the United States since this outbreak first began. When you talk about how this virus spreads, what role did the Trump administration play in making that decision to basically ban travel from the hotspots in China when this first started? Well, I think that um, the administration, which of course took a lot of flack for doing so, uh, probably cut the number of potential vectors and therefore the um, number of potential downstream infections significantly. It's probably worth noting here that WHO, um, actually uh, 
refused to issue a, a suggestion for travel bans for a very long time, said basically, well, we don't think it really would make that much of a difference. Um, and that doesn't seem to have been consistent since every country that wound up with infections then wound up closing down travel both within their borders and then across their borders. Do you think because the Chinese have seen what happened with the early reporting and oftentimes lack of early reporting, as well as how large this outbreak has become, do you see the Chinese as changing their behavior when it comes to some of the wet markets that they have and many of the reports indicating that this could have all started based off of a foodborne illness? I think that wet markets are as much part of the culture as anything else, and culture is always one of the hardest things to change. Um, I think that uh, certainly there is a desire on the part of the Chinese government um, and economy to shift towards prepackaged foods in places sold like supermarkets, but it's very hard, again, to change the culture. And then when you wind up with... uh, folks, uh, you know, Western journalists in places like Bloomberg and the Washington Post saying, hey, wet markets are reopening in China, and that's a good thing. Uh, You're going to wind up with um, very little, uh, you know, pressure to close down wet markets, because they can point to Western journalists and say, see, they agree with us. When it comes to the United States and China, in terms of defense posturing during a pandemic, do you think the Chinese were better prepared or worse prepared than the United States? I know that you've studied the defense industrial complex of the Chinese pretty extensively. So the Chinese are not a market economy. The Chinese economy has significant portions that are still state-run and state-directed. So when an order comes down to start building X or stop making Y, they can uh, do that fairly quickly. On the other hand, that also is an obstacle to innovation because you've really centralized power at the top. So when you look at the range of companies that are now making ventilators and masks, uh, everyone from MyPillow to GM, um, that is a flexibility that I'm not sure the Chinese system has. Right now, we in the Chinese are in a race to develop a vaccine partly out of basic humanitarian and medical considerations, but there's also a political element here. China, if it develops the vaccine first, will be able to say, we have a global-level, first-class pharmaceutical industry, and we can clean up messes, you know, wherever they come from. That's a huge political selling point and bragging point. You've been listening to Dean Cheng, a senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation. We'll be right back. Do you think the Chinese will rush the vaccine process in a way the United States might not be able to because of regulations in America? That's a great question. We don't have much insight, I suspect, into how the Chinese are going to go about human trials and testing. We have examples of, for example, the Chinese doctor who manipulated um, the human genome uh, in a couple of uh, girls, I think it was, babies, uh, who were then brought to term. Um, This is something nobody else has done anywhere else in the world. Uh, He got a lot of condemnation, but it's not clear that, you know, he's been arrested and all that sort of thing, the way Dr. Lee was for revealing COVID-19. Um, I, you know, so I think we'll have to wait and see. But 
absolutely, I hope everyone keeps China under close scrutiny to see how they are willing to go about trying to develop a vaccine. And when you talk about scrutiny and China, is there a mechanism in the international arena to hold the Chinese accountable for the lack of reporting early on in terms of cases and deaths and the likely push of misinformation that we've seen from Beijing? Well, I think that one of the most important things is to not forget, which means knowing what it is that they did and confronting it. Um, That requires things like a free press to do its job, which is to look with skepticism, not just at the actions and words of an American administration, but those of a Chinese uh, administration as well, and not necessarily accept Chinese comments at face value uh, any more than they accept White House comments at face value. Um, I think that you know, we should keep this in mind when the Chinese you know, push for whoever will be the next head of WHO, uh, when the Chinese say that they want to you know, be part of international consortiums of uh, drug manufacturers and things like that. We need to remember how the Chinese behaved when the pandemic really hit the fan um, and not treat them like, well, they're, they're another great power and they will act the same way that France does, what the United States does, or Canada does. Do you see China as using this pandemic as an opportunity to strengthen relationships with American allies in places like Europe? Absolutely. I think that we are seeing the Chinese make a broad push, and not just in Europe, uh, but around the world, of saying, look, we are sending aid to the Netherlands, to Turkey, to Italy, to Spain. Um, Now, uh, it seems like in a lot of cases, uh, the personal protective equipment may not work. But again, that's a matter of whether anyone is paying attention and publicizing this. I personally also predict that the Chinese are going to tie 5G and Huawei sales to coronavirus, especially because, of course, we're seeing a global demand for bandwidth that's just unprecedented. And I fully expect the Chinese to say, hey, in preparation for the next time, you're going to want a lot more bandwidth, which means 5G, and Huawei can build that for you. And finally, I'd like to ask you, because of your experience in defense and military knowledge, talking about biological weapons, what did this pandemic show the international community when it comes to their preparedness for the possibility of biological weapons being introduced more often in modern warfare? I think that the rapidity of its spread, the fact that it has permeated pretty much everybody, is a real warning to nations that biological warfare is very difficult to control, if not impossible. Um, The idea that you could let something like this loose but keep your own country safe is almost certainly... um, a a mirage. What it might tell, however, terrorist organizations, nihilists, uh, Om Shinrikyo types um, who want to bring about simply chaos, uh, what's the line from the movie, to watch the world burn, um, I think that this may have incentivized them because of the exact same qualities. It can spread fairly quickly, uh, it can get everywhere, and very, very few countries are really prepared for this. Um, So, to me, what this really says is that there needs to be more international cooperation to try and make sure that nothing like this ever gets loose into the hands of terrorist organizations.
Dean Cheng, a senior research fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Mr. Cheng, thank you again for your time. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.